Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. Hello, you're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with Amy and Kevin. And we're here to talk some garbage to you about true crime. Yep. Talking trash about trash. Yes. Um... This is episode number one for the third time. <laughs> uh, it might be episode one. Well, it's the first episode that we're going to air. We'll eventually release the others. We'll see. But um, let's talk about why True Crime Dumpster. Yeah, why why True Crime Dumpster? Well, I do like dumpsters, as you know. We've been together for, what, like 10 years? 10 years. And how I, I have a thing for dumpsters. She They're... likes She likes them. <laughs> They're very expensive to rent, and I need them a lot, especially when I'm moving. So I like to have my eye out for good dumpsters. She's a fan of illegal dumping, for sure. <laughs> it, is a, it is a criminal element to it, I guess. Um, True crime. Yes. I've never officially rented a dumpster, but also um, Paul Holes, who's a big true crime hero of mine. Yeah, sure. Everybody knows who he is. He's the dude who caught GSK, the Golden State Killer, um, in his podcast called The Murder Squad with Billy Jensen. He talks about uh, dumpsters being this forensic treasure trove full of DNA for the taking. Because once you let go of something that has your DNA on it, on it uh, whether it be something you blew your nose in or a straw or a can or whatever, the moment it's discarded, it's no longer that person's. And so it really, dumpsters like really allow investigators to have a party with garbage. (laughs) So never throw anything away. Never throw anything away. Just bury it in your backyard. Just hoard it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of why dumpsters. And it just sounds good, you know? Dump. All right. So, this episode uh, was a long time in the making because I started to think about bad guys. And I noticed that there are a lot of bad guys named Gary... So that's why this episode is called Bad Gary's. There's three bad guys named Gary. Yes, and then there's one city named Gary that's pretty bad, too. It's filled with bad guys. Yeah, yeah. And girl. Um, So those are the four Gary's we're going to be talking about today. Um, First off would be... Gary Gilmore. Yes, Gary Gilmore. Then most... uh, I'm going to talk about Gary Glitter, who is a Gary... That doesn't get talked about too, too much, um, I would say, outside of the UK. But we do hear his music quite a bit here in the US, especially at football games. Yeah. Because people at football games love child molesters. And they want to support do? his music. <laughs> I don't, apparently. I don't I, know. I, I wouldn't say that. I. <laughs> That's a little strong. We just lost all of the listener that is a football fan. <laughs> yeah. Or loves those Your like pre now. pre-game pre-game songs. 
Anyways, uh, what other Gary do we got? Uh, Gary Ridgway. Yes, that's a big Gary. Um, Gary Glitter and Gary Ridgway are both still alive. And then the last Gary is Gary Indiana, um, which is a big culprit. And we'll talk about that place. It's alive The very as last. Well. It is. So, you want to get started? Let's do it. All right. Gary Mark Gilmore, born on December 4th, 1940 in Stonewall, Texas. One of four children born to Frank and Bessie Gilmore. Gary's father, Frank, was a petty con man, and the family had to move around the country constantly so he can run his scams on people. He was also an alcoholic and physically abusive, flying off the handle in booze-fueled rages. Gary and his siblings' childhood was troubled, to say the least. It seems like a lot of serial killers or murderers or criminals have some pretty rough childhoods, and alcoholism is pretty big factor. It, so he's not special. He's not special. He's not a special guy. Not All yet. Right. Not yet. Okay. All right. At 10 years old, the family was living in Portland, Oregon. Oh, Portland, that's where we yeah. used to live. Yep. Yeah, we had to ditch out. Because we heard about Gary Gilmore. Too sketchy. Uh, and uh, in Portland, Oregon, Gary was already showing uh, signs of trouble, taking on his father's disregard for the law. Scarred by his explosions of violence, Gary began to go down a criminal path. You write that? Explosions um, of violence? Yes. Ooh, very nice. Thank you. Keep going. Sorry. It's a new song I'm working Explosions on. Explosions of violence. Yeah. About pooping. <laughs> uh, Gary began to go down a criminal path, committing petty crimes that began to get uh, more serious. In an interview with Playboy magazine during his incarceration, he says when asked about being a kid, I always felt like I wasn't... What, what, what? I'm just thinking about there's like... In his interview of Playboy magazine, it's like him sprawled out, like completely naked on like a bearskin rug. But I know it's... They did like interviews back in the day and Playgirl would be where you find the naked men. I, it's just, I just had this bad yeah, welcome vision. to, what, 1982. I know, I know. When like Playboy was kind of a legitimate like editorial magazine a source for like editorials i guess i yeah okay i just looked at the boobs <laughs> i Anyways. only read it for the articles when asked about being a kid <laughs> gilmore said i always felt like i was in for trouble i seem to have a talent or rather a knack for making adults look at me a little different different from the way they looked at other kids like maybe bewildered or maybe repelled hmm. so from the start, he was a bad apple. A bad, a bad Gary. Gary. Oh. Jinx. <laughs> uh, when he was 14, this is how bad he was, he organized a car theft ring at 14 with some friends, got arrested, and spent time at the McLaren Reform School for Boys, also Woodburn Reform School, and later at the Oregon State Correctional Institution. As an Woodburn adult. is where all the like outlets are, right? The Woodburn Premium Outlets. Uh, is that Woodburn? I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I know where that is. Yeah, Amy went there a lot. I didn't go there a lot. Shopping for. For what? Criminals. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's a thing. All right. All right. Well, reflecting on leaving Woodburn Reform School, he says, "I came out looking for trouble. 
thought that's what you were supposed to do. I had a tough guy complex, that sort of smart aleck juvenile delinquent attitude. Nobody could tell me anything. I had a ducktail haircut. I smoked, drank, shot heroin, smoked weed, took speed, got into fights, chased, and caught pretty little broads. The 50s were a hell of a time to be a juvenile delinquent. Exclamation mark. Hell yeah. That, that sounds like he was a fun guy to hang out with. Yeah. That's my kind of party. Born to raise hell. Yeah. Fucking A. So, being locked up did nothing to sway him from his criminal destiny. His crimes only got worse, escalating to armed robbery and assault. He was spending as much time in prison as out of it. Violent as he was, Gary was an intelligent person with an IQ of 130 and actually devoted a lot of his time creating artwork and writing poetry. His artwork was so good that in 1972, Gary earned a conditional release so he could attend art classes at a community college, but he quickly committed another robbery and was sentenced to 19 more years. Sorry, nine more years, not 19. I wonder if it was Portland Community College. Was he still in Oregon at this point? Uh, I think at this point he still was. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that didn't last long. Um, so while serving time, and I'm assuming that was part the of this nine, nine years, years yeah. here. So while serving that nine years at a maximum security prison in Illinois, Gary began writing his cousin, Brenda Nicole. Brenda believed Gary could change and deserved a second chance. So in 1976, Gary was once again conditionally released, this time in Provo, Utah, living with Brenda, where she could help him find work and keep him on the straight and narrow. But it didn't take long before Gary fell back into his old ways and down a path that would soon spin out of control. Man, poor Brenda. I would not want to be Brenda. I've been Brenda. Don't be Brenda. But not like, yeah, I've been Brenda. Yeah, don't be Brenda. Yeah, I can't keep people on the straight and narrow. It's a curly, curly road out there. Curly? Windy? Yeah. Windy. Curly. <laughs> curly is more windy than windy. Curly. Okay. All right. So anyways, while living in Provo, Gary, then 35, started a relationship with 19-year-old Nicole Bar- Baker Barrett. Uh, Ew. Yeah. He wasn't cheating. He wasn't lying about yeah. catching the young broads, eh? Ugh. Uh, but this relationship was short-lived due to Gilmore's violent and sketchy personality, and the split only added to Gary's inability to stay out of trouble. He was probably upset, too, that she didn't get his old-timey references. Because I know that that's something that older dudes hate about dating younger girls. But that's not the biggest problem I, I wouldn't know. I've only dated one, and that's you. And I am younger than you. I get your references, though. Because... You're an old soul. No, I think you just act very childish for 42 to almost 43. Almost 43. <gasps> Don't tell people that. Okay, sorry. Um, so on July 19th, 1976, Gilmore robbed a gas station in Orin, Utah, holding the attendant Max Jensen at gunpoint. Even though Jensen complied with his demands, Gary shot Jensen twice in the head, killing him instantly. The next evening, Gilmore robbed hotel manager Ben Bushnell in Provo, Utah. Bushnell also complied with Gilmore's demands, but met the same fate as Jensen. 
While trying to ditch the gun, Gary somehow shot himself in the hand. A mechanic working on Gilmore's truck saw the fresh wound and notified police. Gary, needing someone to help him with his hand, called his cousin Brenda, but she also called police. Gilmore was seen being arrested on the edge of town. Hmm. 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 So, he just straight up shot two people in the head, just even though they were giving him what he wanted. Hmm. Witness? Because they're witnesses to the crime? They could, like, point him out? I don't know. I mean, he was just, it's just robbery. And they were, And murder. Well, he didn't have to murder him, is what I'm saying. But they could also pick him out in a lineup, and maybe he didn't want to go back to prison. I mean, that's like one of the most common reasons that people murder, you know, after they commit a crime is just so they can't be picked out in a lineup. They're, they don't leave any, you know, evidence behind them or any witnesses. Um, so six days before I was born, the case goes to trial and lasts for two days. The jury uh, has a short deliberation and finds Gary Gilmore guilty of first degree murder. Gilmore, given a choice on how he was to be executed, uh, he had two choices, uh, death by firing squad or death by hanging. Hmm. So he chose to be shot, and the sentence was to commence the following month. Which one would you choose? Um, shot. Yeah. Because like, at least you can still stand up, you know, like you have control over what's happening to your body up until the moment of death. With a hanging... Are you talking about shitting yourself before you die? Um, I don't know. I just feel like the hanging thing... Because you shit after you die, for sure. Yeah, your your body lets go of its bowels. But yeah, I would, I would choose to be shot too. And what I did find out, and I guess I already kind of knew this, but I was actually talking about it in one of my classes last week, randomly, after reading um, George Orwell's uh, A Hanging, which is a great essay he wrote about hmm. being in the British Imperial Army um, that with firing squads um, four, there's usually like five people in a firing squad mm-hmm. and four of them have blanks and one of them has an active bullet I thought that they all had active bullets I but read I guess something they where all it was have blanks. four actives and one blank which makes no sense well basically they want no, to make it so the shooter doesn't have the guilt the guilt so no one knows something. yeah no I I was told and again, I know we could probably Google this and anyone could, but I, you know, or either that or, you know, there's blanks and there's active bullets. I would just think that if there was only one active bullet in five gunmen, that unless that person's a, a really good shot, you could miss. Ugh. I, I think that's the fear of like the hanging versus the shooting is like that uns, that moment of time that's like uncertain if you're dead or not you know like to suffer during that time well if the hangman isn't any good no yeah like it can be brutal it can take like 10 minutes if the rope's not long at the correct length you know you mm-hmm. either rip your head off which would be not so bad or the opposite <laughs> where you just sit there and still slowly suffocate yeah Ugh. yeah so but see at least with a gun like even if they miss or, like, it's a non-fatal shot, which it seems like it would always be. Um, they, they could just put in more bullets and keep shooting you. Like You know they videotape all these things, right? Ugh. There's got to be, like, blooper reels, right? Ugh. Of, like, shit going wrong during yeah. these things. Yeah, and I hope that nobody ever watches them. Okay, moving on. <laughs> all right, well. Did, so he chose Firing Squad, right? He chose Firing Squad, okay. yeah. 
when Gilmore's lawyers attempted to appeal his case, he fired them, uh, mm. choosing to accept his fate. Uh, but this caught the attention of the ACLU and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Uh, they made strenuous attempts to stop the execution on behalf of the many prisoners on death row in the U.S. So why would the why would the advancement of colored people colored people why would they? But he wasn't a person of color, was he? I don't believe so. I think that maybe they just didn't want that precedent to be set. I think it was more about the other people on death row. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's probably, unfortunately, mostly people of color that probably. get sent. They they always have harsher punishments, even to today. That's a whole other podcast. Yes, I know. Uh, <clears throat> Gilmore attempted suicide twice and also went on a hunger strike in protest of the delay in his sentence. Uh, his mother also tried to intervene, but Gary published a letter in the press asking her to stop. Aww. On January 17th, 1977, uh, Gary Gilmore ordered his last meal. Steak, potatoes, milk, and coffee. He was administered his last rites by the prison chaplain and was brought before the firing squad. Did you know now they don't let people choose their last supper anymore? Yep. Do you know what their last supper is now? No. It's really weird. It's like a hot dog with sauerkraut. From Costco? I, I think so. Uh, I think that they obviously make it there, but it's like a hot dog with sauerkraut and like applesauce. It's like something you would get in like a kid's cafeteria lunch. It's kind of weird. And like a Coca-Cola or something. They don't let, they don't let you have a choice anymore. That's kind of depressing. Well, you know what's really depressing? Having someone kill people. But there's so many people on death row that I, have been proven to not be guilty of their crime. Yes. But so I guess it's extra also, depressing to be on death row. If you're going to get killed for nothing, you might as well get a steak in your belly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I like sauerkraut, but yeah, I don't think I want that to be uh, my last meal. Yeah. What would you want your last meal to be? I don't know. Steak and legs from the A crop. Oh. Portland, Oregon. Get into it. Represent. Um... I would probably pick sushi. That's why. That's sushi. how. I, that's how I know I shouldn't be on death row. I would want sushi. I'd get some tempeh. No, I didn't say that. Sushi has a lot of fish in it usually. Yeah, well, usually. Okay, sushi with a side of tempeh. Yeah, I definitely don't belong on death row. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, she's innocent. We know it. She ordered sushi. <laughs> There's not that many women on death row though. Um. Not enough. Just kidding. Well, we can talk about that later. That that might be somewhat true. There are always a lot of women. They just even, cry their way out of it. Well, a lot of people are really morally against women specifically being on death row because of, you know, a lot of historical stuff. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but juries are less likely to vote or judges are less likely to sentence women to death. Than men same even if it's like a similar crime it's just a it's an old-timey thing you know kids and kids and women we don't like to put them to death well all i know is if you throw her in the lake and she floats she's a witch burn it okay so all ducks are witches <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when asked if he had any last words, Gary simply said, let's do it. 
which I it was really funny. So on my I'm a teacher on my first day of school uh, or towards the first week of my school, uh, they wanted us to have kids pick out meaningful quotes to them um, and to put them on like posters and to also practice like where certain quotes come from. <laughs> and one of my kids like had drawn like the Nike swoosh and it said, just do it, you know. And then underneath it, it said, Gary Gilmore. <laughs> and I was like, what? Where'd you get that from? And he was like, that's what it said online. I Googled, like, who said just do it from, like, Nike. And it kept saying Gary Gilmore. And I, you know, knowing quite a bit about true crime and serial killers and, you know, I I double-checked it. And it yes, that is actually where one of the guys that... Um, gave the idea to use that actually did get it got got the inspiration yeah. from uh gary what's it what gary gary gilmore there's so many gary's i've been looking into so many bad gary's so many bad gary's so yeah so uh dan wyden oh yeah Ad- wyden yeah, kennedy yeah of the advertising agency hired by nike wyden kennedy came up with a slogan saying he remembered at a hard time like gilmore's execution he still had it in him to push through uh, i don't know if it's pushed through i think it's just push just Cause do it. Because he's not going through anywhere. Just do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, so he, he got the just. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's the Nike thing. That was kind of weird. Yeah, that's a weird connection. Yeah, I looked into that. And that's what made me like think about, you know, not a lot of people talk about Gary Gilmore. And I know he's an interesting dude. So I know you have more to the story. So I'll let you go. After that, uh, they place a hood over his head. Uh, and attached a target on his T-shirt, which just seems like something out of like a Looney Tunes cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, like Elmer Fudd kind of shit. Um, uh, a five-man squad took aim from behind a canvas curtain and shot. Uh, the execution site was hastily set up: an old office chair with nylon restraints, a mattress placed in front of sandbags. Hmm. So it's totally just. A makeshift site. Um, Gary Gilmore was pronounced dead by the coroner. Uh, he was the first person executed in the U.S. in 10 years, and the first since the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty. Mm. So it's a pretty significant murder, and I'm sure it was all over the news and stuff. You mean an execution? I guess it is a murder. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the state murdering someone who yeah. they f- feel like should be murdered. Did I say murder? You did, but that's okay. I mean, it is. It's somebody killing somebody else. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, before he was killed, uh, Gary chose to donate his corneas uh, for transplant purposes. and uh, I wonder how that came about. Is that something that he had, like, knowledge of and, like, volunteered to do? Or did someone, like, ask? Or I don't know how that came about, actually. Yeah. It just seems like weirdly uh maybe after they killed him they chose to donate his corneas oh i don't know hmm but uh yeah just uh shortly after his death two people actually received his corneas two different people i've got one each i guess Hmm. um and it kind of makes me think of uh do you remember that old 80s uh slasher movie uh, uh shocker no Megadeth did the uh, Alice Cooper cover of uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy for Mm. it. Uh, I think that was uh, about uh, the serial killer getting killed and then, like, 
one of his body parts being attached to like someone and then uh, possesses them to mm-hmm. start doing the murders. I think I could be wrong. I'm, I'm probably wrong. I mean, I think I of mix the, this stuff up all the time. I think of the '80s punk band, which I think they may have been around the '70s as well. But um, the adverts doing Gary Gilmore's eyes, which is what you guys heard at the top of the story. Well, yeah, well that that happens. Yeah, uh, I was actually just about the you know. So Sorry. he donates yeah. his eyes. Yes. Uh, and this inspired a debut song. I don't think it's actually their debut song. Maybe their second one. It's one of their major hits. But uh, yeah. UK punk band The Adverts, titled Gary Gilmore's Eyes. Very original. Yes. It's good. It's a good song. Um, I just heard it for the first time. I played it for you. How nice of you. Um, I've got a side note about The Adverts. Mm-hmm. Um, advert bass player Gay Advert pose for a spicy porn mag called Fiesta before joining the band. Yeah, she's really pretty. Yeah, she was kind of like a punk goth pinup girl. Yeah, she kind of had like that black hair, you know, black eyeliner, kind of Joan Jettish kind of thing going on. She was like the fifth Ramon. Kind of, yeah, like that hair. And had a hairy bush. Hey, did were there pictures? Yeah. Oh, okay. The internet's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so did you know that the Ramones have big bushes or something? Like, what do you? <laughs> I don't want to get into the Ramones. Oh, okay. <laughs> they probably did. Uh, I, the Ramones. Meh. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So the story of Gary Gilmore and the events leading up to his execution had lingering effects on pop culture. Norman Mailer wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Executioner's Song, published in 1979. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Because that's what the internet told me. Well, yeah. And that was a really, really famous book. It won a Pulitzer Prize. Yes, it's true. Yeah. This is a true not... crime podcast, it's not a all... fake crime podcast. <laughs> all true. Um, but the Executioner song was later made into a movie uh, in 1982 featuring Tommy Lee Jones as Gilmore and Rosanna Arquette as Barrett. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No, but maybe we should watch it. Have you seen it? No. Okay, well. Um, Gilmore has also been referenced in a couple of popular TV shows, Saturday Night Live and Roseanne. Both mention him in different ways. And, <laughs> How? Uh, like In Saturday Night Live, that- they did a skit called, um, it was like a Christmas kind of skit. And the song that they were singing was Let's Kill Gary Gilmore. Oh. Which was pretty harsh. Yeah. And it's then, like the shirts that were sold during um, Bundy's execution because he, he was um, electrocuted in the chair. And uh, the shirts oh, the that burn Bundy burned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like just people kind of celebrating terrible people being killed. It just feels a little weird. Like I get it. But at the same time, it's I don't know. It's and if you weird. have one that you really want to get rid of, you can send it our way. Cause... Oh, a uh, shirt? Yeah, yeah. Oh, those are easy to find. Okay. I mean, not an original one. I thought you meant like if you have any bad people you want killed, send Just them any our shirt. way. Oh, okay. Don't or people. No. <laughs> We've got three dogs. They're hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, and oh, yeah. I think in Roseanne, Darlene said something about... Oh, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, I love Gary Gilmore. I'm curly hair. Yeah. Actually, my sister Heather used to have hair at, exactly like, like super hers. long like mm-hmm. hers, all curly. I was so jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the band Police. Amy's, the, the Police. Amy's favorite band, The Police, uh, also <laughs> have a song inspired by Gilmore's execution. It's called I'll Be Missing You or I'll Be no, Watching No, it's called Bring I'll be On The Night. You. I'll Be Watching You. Get it? Because they have his eyes. Uh, yeah, well, that, it's called "Bring on the Night." <laughs> their song is called "Bring on the Night." The you know the lyrics to uh, "I'll Be Watching" are, are really creepy. Pretty creepy. Well, that's why I thought it was maybe because the guy had Gary Gilmore's eyes, so he's like, "I'll be watching you." <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I always get that song, and then "I'll Be Missing You" by what, is that Bone Thugs and Harmony? "I'll Be Missing You." Isn't there like a I don't know, but I remember hearing that song in the back of my mom's car a lot when she was driving me to like... Which one? Bone Thugs? I'll be... No, not oh. Bone Thugs. <laughs> Your mom was I'll listening to Bone missing you. I'll see you at the crossroads. Why do I get that song stuck? I, did the Sting... The Sting? Sting, is that the guy from the police? Yeah. Okay. Sting, I think, did something with Bone Thugs. He did? I, I feel like there was a time... No way. Well, because I feel like there were a lot of crossover-y things happening with, like, rap artists and, like, general people as well. All right. Let's see. You say Sting. All right. Well, this isn't stimulating podcast material watching you. Bone and Thugs and and Phil Collins. And Phil Collins. Holy shit. Oh, well. I'll be be missing you. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be missing you. Wasn't it about like a rapper who died? I swear. I'm going to look into it. I'll report back during my Gary Gilmore section. If listener, if you can get back to us on this. <laughs> All you listener. Yeah. Uh, send us an email. Oh, yeah. At truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. And you can also find us on truecrimedumpster.com. I wanted to make sure to secure those things because I knew that they would be in high demand. All right, so I'm going to be talking about Gary Glitter as our Gary number two, or I guess bad Gary number two. Um, A lot of my sources came from the BBC, um, both print and film. Um, One of which I watched a TV documentary called Come Home Gary Glitter, where hosts Jamie Campbell and Joel Wilson go all around the world looking for Gary Glitter to try to get him to come back to the UK. And later on in the story, you'll find out kind of why. I also looked at a news profile of Gary Glitter on the BBC News um, article. And there was a good LA Weekly 2014 article called uh, Why Do We Keep Making Child Molester Gary Glitter Rich by Michael Goldstein. And then I also just looked at a ton of Daily Mail, Daily Star, Telegraph, and Sun articles, as well as numerous BBC interviews um, on YouTube. So it was, this is a conglomeration of a lot of things. Are you ready? Uh, I think so. This guy's a... Yeah. A slime lord. Yeah. So Gary Glitter was born as Paul Francis Gad in Branbury, Oxfordshire in 1944. So he's the same age as my mom. Uh Uh-oh. He never met his father, and he and his brother were raised by his mother and grandmother um, until he was about 10 years old. And it was said that they struggled with the boys. And so at the age of 10... 
he was taken into government care. Uh, it said like authoritative care. It's basically foster care. And he lived in a children's home. Um, he claims it was Dickensian, like Charles Dickens. He said that they had to get up at 5 a.m., light all of the fires, prep all of the potatoes, and clean all of the shoes. And he was just 11 years old. Um, also later on, and he's not specific, but later on he talks about how he was abused as a child. He said that he believed that fame was the only thing that could get him out of the orphanage. Um, although he was a Protestant, he went to a Roman Catholic school, and when he was 16 years old, he often ran away to London clubs where he started his glam rock career. In 1960, he started calling himself Paul Raven. He also tried Paul Russell and Rubber Bucket. I like ru Rubber Bucket. <laughs> the, those favorite. didn't stick. Um, so now we're kind of getting into more of the later adolescent young adult years. In the July 1963, 19-year-old Paul Gad married Ann Merton. And then the following year, they had a son they also called Paul. And in 1966, they had a daughter named Sarah uh, the marriage broke down in 1970, and they were divorced by 1972. Also in 1972, he finally came up with the name Gary Glitter. Av after having considered Terry Tinsel and Stanley Sparkly. <laughs> wow, he's coming up with all the good names. Yeah. Uh, Glitter, Tinsel, and Sparkly. I think he was going with a theme there. Yeah. And he burst into the charts with his breakthrough single, Rock and Roll Parts 1 and 2. Many people call it the Hey Song, because it's the only discernible word in the song. Um, it was the only one to ever reach the top 10 charts in the U.S. Um, I think it only got to number two in the U.K. Um, he didn't have his number one hit until 73 with um, I'm the Leader of the Gang. And then it says parentheses, I am. I don't know why. It's weird. Um, maybe it's code. Maybe. I am. He was well known for his flamboyant outfits adorned with glitter, sequins, and wing-like shoulder pads. Uh, imagine kind of David Bowie-ish, but worse. He was like a mix. Be this is just my commentary. It looks He reminds me of a mix between David Bowie and bad Elvis Presley. So lots of like jumpsuits. And poor man's kiss. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, totally poor man's kiss. There, <laughs> I was also watching him do um, a concert where he opens with I am the leader of the gang or I'm the leader of the gang, parentheses I am. I am. Um, and he comes out on a motorcycle all studded up and it's, it's very like priestish you know uh judas priestish you know except for rob halford correct me if i'm wrong he comes out on a motorcycle by himself right yes yeah so gary glitter he's like he's like carted out by someone some like road like some old roadie like he's on the back of it like that's not tough uh. i don't know if he's going for tough but anyways uh it's really silly yeah um when he was 28, he finally found fame in the emergency, uh, emerging rock scene in the early 70s with all of those hits like I was talking about. Um, and he wore huge platform boots, probably to obscure his 5'6 frame. He also started wearing wigs by the time he was 18 due to his premature balding and the pressure to have cool hair in the rock and roll scene in the 60s and 70s. I'll talk more about his hair for his 2015 trial. Um... 
Between 1972 and 1975, Glitter scored 11 consecutive top 10 singles and a 1984 single, Another Rock and Roll Christmas, uh, which became one of the most played Christmas hits of all time. It's a banger. (laughs) Oh, we'll talk more about that later. Glitter went bankrupt, owing 170,000 pounds, but bounced back in the 80s, scoring a 1984 hit with the single Dance Me Up. Um, And then they didn't talk about it too much, but Do You Want to Touch Me, which was covered by Joan Jett in 1984, um, was one of his hits. And I think a lot of people have covered it uh, most recently on an episode of Glee, which I don't, I've never watched, but I know it's like a high school thing. And I think the health teacher sings it and it's about safe sex. Yes. All of this is not good. Yeah. It's just not good. And we'll talk more about why. Too much glitter. Yeah. Too much glitter is problematic. Both the person and the thing. All right, so here's his timeline of crime. So that's just some little, you know, background on him. Um, so it all starts in 1997. Glitter buys a Toshiba laptop computer worth, at the time, 4,734 pounds, which I looked up and converted to U.S. dollars. That would be the equivalent of $9,200 today. That's that's a lot. I know. So I was, like, telling my students couple weeks ago we were talking about computers and i said that they were really expensive back in the day and like vcrs were too and that just kind of goes to show like a decent laptop with he probably it was probably the most state-of-the-art thing with the nicest stuff on it um he didn't put the nicest stuff on it but um (laughs) it was like ninety two hundred dollars you know so um later that year he took it to pc world in a shopping center near bristol to be fixed, uh, I guess there was a software issue. He tells the technician not to look at the files. So what do you think the technician does? Not look at the files. He doesn't look at the files. The end, Gary Glitter is great. No, um, he does look at them and he discovers over 4,000 images of child porn, porn um, on his hard drive. Glitter is arrested as he collects the computer in like a sting operation. And the police searched the star's home in Somerset and in London and seized uh, indecent videos and pictures of children that I think he produced. I don't think he produced all of them, but like these are self-produced images. So it's not even just like possessing pictures. It's also having taken them, you know? Blah. Yep, gross. Yeah, totally gross. In December of 97, his Christmas tour begins as scheduled. Was he Santa? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, But it doesn't sound like he totally went on it. Um, Also, during that time in 97, the Spice Girls were a thing. I think they're still a thing now, which is weird. Some of them. Are they all still a thing? I think I... One big Spice blend. Yeah. (laughs) Spice blend. Um, I know Victoria Beckham is still a thing because, unfortunately, she's just kind of known as being David Beckham's wife. Um... Anyways, he, his scene is cut from the Spice Girls movie. That is the worst thing that's happened to him up until this point. Just so you know. Because of the porn allegations. So he was cut from that. So is he in jail? Okay, okay. So on March 31st, 1998, so about four months later, he's charged with 50 offenses of downloading in- indecent photographs of children on his return 
from a three-month holiday in Cuba. See, that's where I was trying to do the math there. Like, if his Christmas tour, maybe his Christmas tour is very short, and it was just for the month of December. And then he went to Cuba for three months to hang out. And that's where he met uh, a very significant woman um, who becomes his future baby's mama. Mm. Um, and his lawyer says Glitter is totally innocent of any wrongdoing, but nonetheless, he has to come back to stand trial. And in November of 99, he's jailed for four months after pleading guilty to 54 offenses of making indecent photographs of children under the age of 16. Yeah. Yeah. When asked why he was looking at these horrible pictures of men having sex with young children, Glitter immediately broke into sobs, reached for a tissue, and replied, I was in a very bad place in my life at the time, and I had a lot of very serious decisions to make about my future. He added that he invested 200 million or 200,000 pounds in his own career and that his record company and fans were very demanding. Poor guy. I know. Uh, I know you're being sarcastic, but I still can't make the connection between stress and child porn. You know, you've never really relaxed then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. After serving only two months in prison, the singer was freed and subsequently traveled to Spain and then Cuba again, which is where he is believed to have fathered his illegitimate love child, which is how he is referred to in most articles as uh, Gary's love child. Um, so I know that that's kind of a loaded. Yeah, that's. It's a little loaded of a term, but um, he does. That is the time when he fathers one of the kids. Um, he is kicked out of Cuba, though, because of sex tourism. Um, so he was touring the sex scene, I'm, suppo- I'm guessing. And uh, he comes back to the U.K., Or no, he doesn't come back to the UK. I think he goes to Spain, and then he goes to Cambodia. And that's where a lot of stuff goes down. Um, In 2002, he's kicked out of Cambodia after facing allegations of sex crimes and moves to Thailand before going to the Vietnamese coastal resort of Vung Tau. So how bad do you got to be to get kicked out of Cambodia? I know, I know. Because Cambodia apparently is the number one place to be able to get um, child sex slaves. And um, in that documentary I was watching, um, the the filmmakers actually go to uh, Vietnam looking for him. No, it's, it's Cambodia. It's Cambodia. They go to Cambodia um, looking for him and it's... It's really, really, really hard to watch, but the hosts very effortlessly get numerous children like under the age of like 13 and under. Um, They they he's off the the hosts are offered the children like numerous times way too easily. uh, One of which one time is by their parents and like it's it's super duper uncomfortable. And the hosts even say like. They kind of laugh it off and then they're just like, God, if it's this easy to get like parents and like bartenders to offer kids up, like obviously Gary Glitter was specifically picking this place for that very reason. And when they go around looking for him in Cambodia, um, people constantly know him as the leader because that because of his uh, hit in 1973. So the leader of the gang. Oh, yeah. So everyone knows him as the leader. In March of 2006, the shamed singer is convicted of sexually abusing two Vietnamese girls 
aged 10 and 11 and is sentenced to three years imprisonment in Vietnam. He, if he had been found fully guilty, I guess, of full-on sex abuse, <laughs> I, I don't exactly know why he didn't get a gnarlier sentence, but he could have been get, um, got, he could have gotten death by firing squad. That seems to be kind of like typical, I guess, for child sex abusers. Well, that's good. Yeah. But he didn't get it. And there was like some weird payoff money and stuff for the families. Um, again, like he's targeting families and girls of families who are very, very poor. And so even just a couple hundred dollars payoff is enough to get charges either lessened or dropped. It's so fucked up. Yeah. In August of 2008, Glitter is ordered to return to the UK after spending two and a half years in jail, um, sparking the beginning of a farcical journey. He tries to land in Bangkok and Hong Kong, but is eventually forced to go back to Britain. They just keep, like, flagging him down. Hot potato. Yeah, nobody (laughs) wants him. In addition to the charges of having sex with the two girls in question, six other girls ages 11 to 23 said that he had sex with them, too. So these charges are just continuing to amount. Um, In October of 2012, Glitter becomes the first person to be arrested under the Met's Operation U-Tree, which is an investigation launched in the wake of Jimmy Seville's scandal. They were friends, right? Uh, I don't know if they were friends, but they definitely knew each other. I think Gary Glitter went on his show, and there is some really disgusting articles on um, the two allegedly basically molesting a 12 and a 14-year-old, and like other guests on the show saw it happen. Together? Yeah, they were like in the same room doing it. And um, I think somebody went to go complain and the producer was just like, mind your own business. It's not a big deal. They're just playing around. Which is... They're two big names and... Yeah, and so it was like, we got to keep them happy. Yeah. Right? And so that's why the BBC is very much like a culprit in a lot of this. A lot of people say that the BBC like basically allowed sex abuse to happen. Kind of like they just turned a blind eye to it. Because um, they really needed the revenue that Glitter and... um, Of course, yeah. Yeah, Glitter and Seville gave. Um, So in June of 2014, the singer is charged with eight counts of sexual offenses, and this later becomes 10. Um, And finally, in January of 2015, he finally goes on trial at Southwark Crown Court. And this is where his hair comes back into play. Glitter said... So this is in his defense of how he couldn't have had sexual encounters, uh, at least 10 of which uh, are with minors. Uh, Glitter said he couldn't have had anyone backstage after gigs as he would often spend up to one and a half hours caring for his wig, which was a quote unquote closely guarded secret and a quote chore to take care of. Jurors heard that Glitter started to lose his hair at the age of 18 and had been wearing a wig since 1965. Um, because in those days, rock and roll singers had to have hair. He said the hair got bigger as the years got bigger. Glitter also gave jurors a detailed description of his wig maintenance routine, which included dry clean, the dry cleaning agent, carbon tetrachloride. He said, I had to really go work on it. It would take me a good hour and a half to do it. And I always did. I never had help with it because I wanted to keep it a secret. I was hoping that nobody knew about this. I could imagine that some of my crew may have heard some rumors. He added that he all, that he used double-sided tape to secure the wig to his head, and after his energetic performance, 
would rush back to his hotel suite to tend to his hairpiece before putting it back on his head to go to sleep. Glitter thought that his baldness was a closely guarded secret. And the singer continued, I never had anybody backstage after a performance because this was a major problem in my life or rather or rather a major chore I had to deal with. Um, Glitter said he wouldn't leave himself exposed after his concerts by remaining at the venues or trying to ha- tend to his hair backstage. Um, I never had anybody after a point. Oh, yeah. Here he said that. Um, so anyways, he was using the wig as his defense on why he couldn't have molested anybody. Because he was too too busy busy tending to his wig before and after performances. Isn't that crazy? That's his defense. Yeah, that's... um... That was his biggest piece of defense. I I don't know if it's his biggest because I didn't go through the whole court transcripts. But the fact that there was any part of his defense is crazy. Right? Yeah, I mean... Well, I I obviously don't spend as much time on my wigs. And you can tell when you look at me. (laughs) Despite the wig routine defense, Gary Glitter was found guilty of attempted rape, sex with a child under the age of 13, and four counts of indecent assault on February 5th, 2015. Two days later, he was sentenced to 16 years in prison for his crimes. During the trial, the court heard how Glitter tried to rape an eight-year-old while at the height of his fame in the pop of while at the height of his fame and popularity in 1975. An eight-year-old. Two years later, he lured a besotted fan to the Holiday Inn in Leicester. Yeah, that's definitely not right. But where he subjected her to a night of sexual abuse. He then attacked a second young fan, age 13, after meeting her at the Watford nightclub. And there's just it, it just keeps going on and on. It's terrible. And a lot of people, obviously, there are not names um, in a lot of this, because I know that naming victims is important for people. It's important for people to know that these are real people. But again, most of these people, they were minors when it happened. And so there is a lot of um, there's a lot of protection for them. So that's kind of like the bulk of Gary Glitter's crimes. Um, but there's a lot of interesting aftermath. Do you want to hear it? Uh, yeah, go on. Okay. Um, so, oh, and then there's, there's a lot of stuff that's also come out, come out after his conviction. Um, a lot of other people kind of came to the forefront to tell their story. Um, and in a Telegraph UK article by Rosina Sabor, uh, written about Joe Gad, a mother of two and cousin to Glitter, who served, uh, she served as a character witness during, um, his trial. She said that Gary Glitter appeared at my bedside carrying a bottle of champagne and a crystal glass. I was secretly thrilled. He was, back then, the leader of the gang, the silver-suited and platform-booted showman whose glitter band rocked top of the pops. I lay still, pretending to be asleep, but he got into bed with me and touched me between my legs and on my chest. um, Gad said she longed for Glitter to stop, but was paralyzed uh, by fear and felt unable to stop him. She added, I felt sick and angry, but what could I do? He had abused me in front of a room full of girls who were, like the adults nearby, in thrall of his celebrity. So, yeah, she has spoken out now, um, but he will hopefully just die in prison because when he was sentenced, he was like 70 years old. And if he serves for the full 16 years, which it does seem like he has to, I don't think he's going to make it to 86. However, the... The prison that he's in is very nice, and I'll talk about it in just a second. Um, so a little bit of an update on him. He still sends regularly um, 
checks to his from his royalties to his girlfriend, quote unquote, an 18 year old son, Gary Jr., who he has never met in Cuba. They are both unemployed and heavily depend on him uh, for money. Gary Jr. enjoys taking selfies with his vast array of sunglasses and amateurly tattoos out of his apartment. Um, that wasn't supposed to be a jab. That's literally what the article said. <laughs> and there are a lot of, um, you can actually see his Instagram. He really does like sunglasses. Again, kind of like that he's just really into the way he lo- I mean, everybody's into the way they look to some extent. But again, that kind of idea of like Gary Glitter really being into his self-image and stuff that maybe that didn't fall f- too far from the tree. Yeah. Um, they're actually looking to sell their apartment in Cuba that... Gary Glitter um, acquired for them to be able to move closer to the prison that he is housed at. That is how much um, infatuated, I guess. I don't even, maybe she, I think she does love him. I think that the girlfriend in Cuba still very much loves him. I don't think she's seen him in a couple decades, but she still supports him and wants to be close to him. They probably share the same clothes. Outfits. Yeah. Well, she's kind of, she's kind of basic now. He's probably very basic now because he probably has to wear prison blues. Although, let's let's talk about the jail, okay? It's called HMP, the Vern on the Isle of Portland, which just underwent a 3.3 million, do- uh, million pound makeover. It is an all-sex offender se- uh, category C jail with tea-making facilities in each cell, as well as reportedly having a pond with foot-long koi carp and a farm where convicts can grow flowers and look after ducks. They are free to walk around their wing 24 hours a day so the cells don't lock, unless they want to go to the exercise yard or gym where personal trainers give them fitness sessions, as well as having access to an AstroTurf football pitch uh, for five-a-side kickabouts. The Sun reports a source told them that the prison is like a quote-unquote holiday camp. They said, to think that some of these people have raped children, the public would be disgusted to see how they live. That's crazy. I know. I can, I, like, that sounds nice. Like, you don't want child molesters to be in a nice place. But again, I'm sure that all of these people have money, unfortunately. I don't think it's for all child molesters. They don't do so well in the States. Prisons here. Yeah, apparently they do well in the UK. Um, But this was a story I I liked. During a karaoke hour at the prison, (laughs) just the fact that they have a karaoke hour at the prison just kind of speaks to the amenities there. Uh, Gary Glitter, for three weeks, trained for this night, um, getting uh, getting everything ready for his performance. Um, He was jeered off stage with the crowd chanting, off, off, off. And he reported uh, because he was reportedly singing another rock and roll Christmas and I love you, love me, love in a tinfoil suit meant to emulate his 70s heyday. So he probably looked insane. <laughs> I can't imagine. So uh, instead, a source told the Daily Star that the 74 year old looked less like a star and more like a pensioner in a safety blanket. <laughs> The pedophile, which they keep saying pedophile because that's how they say it in British talk. The pedophile singer needed consoling by fellow inmates in this uh, jail when he was ushered off stage in tears. Poor guy. I know. It's hard to feel bad for him at all. 
So a note about the NFL and Glitter's royalties, because I know I talked a little bit of shit about the NFL earlier. Okay. However, the sex allegations, the pornographic images on his computer, that was 99. And so it wasn't until 2006 that the NFL asked teams to stop playing his song, Rock and Roll Part 2, which is the one that's really famous. Um, Glitter was dismayed by this um, result as he is a fan of the San Diego Chargers and had choreographed some of the team's cheerleading cadences in 1989. However, it's still heard at many pro and college baseball, basketball, and hockey games, though many teams have dropped it by this point, especially after 2015, luckily. Um, U.S. companies still continue to make glitter rich, and a lot of this information is where I got from the uh, L.A. Weekly article. In 2008, Hewlett-Packard used Joan Jett's iconic cover of Do You Want to Touch Me to launch a line of touchscreen computers, um, and that earned Gary Glitter $100,000 in 2008. Glitter's biggest recent payday came in 2012 when the Oscar-winning film Silver Linings Playbook used Rock and Roll Part 2 in a widely aired television trailer. I think that in one of these, I think that paid for his yacht. Jesus. I know. Both Democratic and Republican campaigns have used Rock and Roll Part 2 in 2000. So during the sex allegations, George... That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. In 2000, George W. Bush's campaign played it at rallies before being told Glitter's story. After that, they vowed not to use it again, but then they did in 2004 his, for his re-election. Yeah. Which, yeah. So then also in 2012, the Democrats played it at their national convention. Um, it's also been t- featured in a ton of films. I think there was a couple Adam Sandler films in there on the list. Um, the, with the recent most being um, Todd Phillips' film The Joker, which just came out a couple weeks ago. Apparently, I think that I, he still owns the rights to that song, and yeah. he still gets royalties in jail. I Luckily, he it, it's sent to a lot of his family all over. But again, the fact that he's still getting rich off of this, even being... I know it's not the same rules as here in the United States with royalties, but he still is making him. We are still making him rich by continuing to play his song. Um, When Oasis paid tribute to him on their second album, which is no compliment from me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, They borrowed a flavor, uh, a flavor of Hello, Hello, I'm Back Again. Oh, and that's um, them paying tribute to that song on their second album. That is the one that he was able to buy a yacht with his royalties. Uh, I think that was kind of a while ago, though. Not that I have anything nice to say about Oasis, though. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of it with a lot of the kind of what happened after his 2015 conviction. So, I yeah. Thoughts? (laughs) Um, It's... These... People high up, you know, that do all these things, it's crazy that they get away with it. Where, like, you know, if it was just some poor guy. Yeah, we wouldn't know, We wouldn't even know about it. Falsely he'd be, accused, yeah, even. He'd be stuck in jail. Yeah. And we wouldn't even hear about it. Yeah. I don't know. I think the thing that kills me the most um, is how, and again, like, I know there's a lot of debate over, like, separating the art from the artist. And, you know, I've been told time and time again that, like, I, I'm not allowed to diss on Chris Brown or anyone's allowed to diss on Chris Brown who um, beat up Rihanna uh, back in you know, like five, seven years ago or something. And 
kids have kids just love his music and they're even aware of the domestic abuse charges and everything but they don't really care they're just like i separate the art from the artist you know i i think that's much harder to do for gary glitter and i also think that it's not like individuals listening to this music at their homes it's these stadiums you know full of people getting ready for like a sports game it's it's like a it's a song that amps you up Um, So I think it's much worse than I think the Chris Brown thing or whatever, which a lot of people are like, it's over and done with, get over it. Um, Which to some extent, I don't know how I feel about that entirely. But apparently if Rihanna has forgiven Chris Brown, I have to forgive him too. But in addition to that, I don't listen to Chris Brown at all. I don't even know what he sounds like. So it's not like that has really affected my listening of him. But there are certain artists who have come out with certain things and I can't I can't listen to them anymore because of it you know I don't know if that's like it for you who's Chris Brown <laughs> he's an <laughs> he's an R&B artist he oh, was yeah okay. so that explains but it. like at my last school that I taught at everybody was obsessed with Chris Brown and this nonprofit organization um actually bought like a hundred or a couple hundred seats to go to his show And it really was mostly white staff members who kind of pointed out, like, isn't that kind of fucked up? Because you're using, you know, donated funds to um, allow Chris Brown to make money off of, like, kids uh, and, like, their organization, um, even though he's this, like, domestic abuser of women you know and you know like it kind of makes you wonder or think about like if people are allowed to change if they're allowed to come back from something terrible you know I think that when it comes I'm not trying to say that Chris Brown is the same as Gary Glitter because those are two very 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 different situations and it does seem like Chris Brown has cleaned up his act so maybe maybe he is allowed to really have that second chance i don't think he's done anything super shitty since then but but gary glitter he's a like three four five times convicted child molester international child molester you know he went to he got kicked out of cambodia for no one yeah who gets kicked out of cambodia you know anyways like you can literally buy anything there literally yeah so I don't know. I, I, I just know that that argument comes up a lot, separating the art from the artist. And I don't think you can do it in this case. So we just got to stop listening to that song, no matter how annoyingly catchy it is. Are you, do you, I don't know. Are you in agreement with me at all? Listen to heavy metal. I'm in full agreement with that. Okay. All right. So that's it for Gary Glitter. Bye, Gary. And that's it for this episode of True Crime Dumpster. Be back next time with part two of Gary's Gone Wild. Until then, take it easy. <laughs>